Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg. With your host, psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark and co-host Debbie Nash, Living Well with Dr. Peg explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics. Brought to you by SSI Guardian, Living Well with Dr. Peg shares effective and practical psychological strategies based on biblical principles for living well. To learn more about the show or Dr. Peg's mental health consulting and publishing services, visit drpegradio.com. And now, here's your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Hello listeners, I'm psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg. Living Well with Dr. Peg is brought to you by our sponsor, SSI Guardian, who has set the new standard in advanced safety education by providing evidence-based advanced training and solutions to learning institutions, faith-based, and professional organizations. Our topic today is step families. You know, it's estimated that about 13% of adults, or over 29 million moms and dads, are step parents. And approximately one-third of all weddings in America today form step-families. I remarried about a year and a half ago myself and became a stepmother. And as those of you who are married know, there's an adjustment period in any marriage, and blended families certainly are not exempt. Uh, my church offered a smart step-families workshop, and my husband and I learned some very helpful principles and strategies. But not everyone can attend a full-day workshop. So there are other resources like books and videos, and one of the nation's step family experts and author of some of those very helpful books and videos is Ron Deal, and we're blessed to have Ron Deal on the phone with us today to share some valuable information with our listeners. Ron Deal, thank you for being with us, and welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, quite an honor to be with you today. Well, thanks so much. Ron, you're the director of Family Life Blended and president of SmartStepFamilies.com, as well as the author of the best-selling book and DVD curriculum, The Smart Step Family. And that's actually how I learned about you, through that Step Family workshop that mm. was held at my church in Colorado. So I can't tell you how helpful that information and that curriculum was for myself and my husband. Well, that's really great. I, I wasn't aware of that, and um, I'm glad that it was a blessing for you. It sure was. Now, Ron, we've all heard the terms step family and blended family, mm-hmm. and ever since Cinderella, for most people, <laughs> well, she messed it up that, for all that term <laughs> stepmother has a very bad connotation. Uh, but you use both. Your book is called The Smart Step Family, and you're the director of Family Life Blended. So talk to us about the difference between those terms, step family and blended family. And is is one more accurate than the other? It, it's a good question. You've made a great observation about how I use both. It does not mean that I'm schizophrenic. It does <laughs> not mean that. Here's what it means. Uh, what I've learned, and if you look at the world uh, as a whole, those terms are used in different places with different emphasis. Hmm. And and so, for example, we kind of have to talk around it. In certain parts of the U.S., a blended family really means a biracial couple. Hmm. And that's particular in the southeast. And so if you talk about blended families down there, their first assumption, they think you're talking about a biracial couple. It doesn't have anything to do with a step family or step parent. And so, you know, that part of the country, step family is more brings more clarity. In other parts of the country, blended family is kind of the predominant term. If you look at uh, the news, media, 
uh, online uses of the terms in blended family gets searched more than step family does. But here's the other problem that that brings. I've never heard a child, Dr. Pegg, say, uh, Mr. Ron, can I introduce you to my blended mom? <laughs> Unless she's biracial, of course, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So children don't use those terms. Mm-hmm. Children have a great sense of clarity about who's a biological mom or dad and who's a stepmom or stepdad or step-sibling or bio-sibling. And, and so what we've learned is we really have to use both terms to be so that they define the other and no matter what standpoint you come from, you'll understand who it is we're talking about. By the way, internationally, step family is used more often in the UK and Australia and New Zealand. So hmm. if we're doing international, well, of course, online web, you know, uh, articles and whatnot are read on internationally. And so we, we just have to be careful and, and, and try to use all the terms. Yeah. Wow. Well, I learned something new today. That was very helpful. Now, Ron, talk to the listeners about what motivated you to get involved in a step family's ministry to begin with? Well, I got to tell you, um, it's not personal. I didn't have a personal motivation. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is the story for most people yeah. who are working in as educators or therapists or uh, in ministry settings. Most people are a part of a blended family. We, we put on a summit once a year called the Summit on Step Family Ministry, which is going to be up in your neck of the woods. We're going to be in Colorado Springs, September 29th and 30th. And if you come to that, what you'll learn is that most of the people there are there because it's their life. They're there to learn more about step families and how to minister to step families because it is their life, but it's also their ministry. Mm-hmm. I'm an exception to that. Uh, Nan and I have been married for 30 years, and um, my right. parents were married for 61 before my mother passed away, and my in-laws have been married over 55. Wow. I have three siblings that are all in first marriages. Uh, it's just not my story. Uh, what motivated me was my professional life. I'm a marriage and family therapist, and as a family minister, I was working in church context and in communities doing marriage enrichment, family enrichment, parent training. Well, you can't do that, I thought, not talk about step families or talk about single parent families. And mm-hmm. so about 25 years ago now, I started down the road of trying to figure out how do we enrich step families, and it just led me down a journey where I discovered that there's a tremendous need, a great interest, um, and there's there's answers that we can give people that are really, really helpful. And it just drew me in. And the further I went, uh, the more message I developed, the more books I wrote, uh, pretty soon it became my life. Yeah, wow. So that's that's um, different than the, the couple that led the workshop that I took at my church that was based on your Smart Step Family curriculum. Uh, they are in... Um, a step family and um, fairly newlyweds. They've only been married a couple of years. And because they encountered some challenges in their new blended family, their new step family, uh, they started reading and, and learning more about what was out there and available. And at the same time, our, our uh, pastoral counselor uh, director um, was aware of the same thing that you were aware of in her work with families that more and more we're seeing um, step families and blended families. Uh, this, mm-hmm. The statistic that I uh, cited at the beginning of the show, 29 million moms and dads are step parents, and so millions of children growing up in those environments. And as as far as I can tell, the statistics don't even always include people who are um, living together and not actually married, but in effect, that's a step family situation for those children as well. You're right. You're reading those stats correctly. Yeah. Um, and so million people. Oh, gosh. A relationship of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. Million. That's just so step families are 
the new family, so to speak, in a lot yeah. of ways, huh? By the way, I just one last thought about my my world and how I got into this. I, I've often thought of myself as the male obstetrician to the state mm. world. Mm. It, it's not my life. Yeah. <laughs> but I sure know something about the process, and it's not that I know everything. What, one of the things I've discovered is getting step couples together is incredibly helpful for them. Mm-hmm. They just don't have anybody to talk to. Yeah, they need a little guidance and some principles to go by, but get them together in a church context, for example, and all of a sudden amazing positive things happen. Yeah, and and you realize, okay, it's not just me. I'm not crazy. I'm not this horrible, (laughs) evil stepmother. This is a normal reaction to this blending of families. That's exactly right. And, you know, you mentioned Cinderella a little while ago, and, and I always come full circle to that because there are so many negative uh, messages in our culture that were passed down, you know, through the years, thanks to the Brothers Grimm. By the way, they changed all those stories. I don't know if you know this, but originally those stories did not include a stepmother. With mm, a stepmother, Hansel wow. and Gretel, it wasn't a step-parent situation. Cinderella, Snow White, but the Brothers Grimm realized nobody would read the stories, and so they changed it into a step-parent instead of a biological parent, mm. and, and the rest is history. Wow. And we're still kind of, you know, dealing with those negative connotations. But here's the truth. Uh, Jesus had a stepdad. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I think he kind of did a pretty good job. You know? <laughs> I, and, you know, we probably ought to celebrate that. There's amazing people who are taking on roles and responsibilities that they don't have to, and yet they're loving a child and making a difference in, a, in, a, in the life of a child. And I think that's honorable. And it's just something we need to support and encourage and try to equip. Absolutely. Well, we have about uh, two and a half minutes, and I want to start a discussion on um, some of the qualities of a healthy family. You have a lot of experience in marriage and family counseling and ministry, and that's obviously how you ended up dealing with blended families, just because of the sheer numbers. So what what are some of the qualities of a healthy family so that we can have kind of a, a plumb line of what we're, we're striving for? And what are some of the challenges that are inherent with step families that sometimes make it hard to develop and experience those healthy family qualities? Okay, well, here we go. Two and a half minutes. Yeah, um, and we can finish in the next lot. segment we as well. Let's just but, start. But, yeah, let me just hit some of the high points. You know, a strong marriage is, is really paramount to a healthy step family. Now, here's where we're going to pause, because that's a statement we would make about any family. Mm-hmm. Right? Marriage, as goes the marriage, so goes the family. And that's well, the question, in a Ron. Is family, qual- it's also as goes the parenting and step parenting, so goes the family. Mm-hmm. But the marriage is the thing that is ultimately the glue. And there are some unique challenges to marriage in a step family that you don't find in marriage in a first family. So, for example. Uh, one of the things that really wears and tears on couple relationships sometimes has nothing to do with them. It has to do with maybe an ex-spouse, mm-hmm. somebody in another home who is is uh, making comments to the kids about the step-parent, and that's rippling back into how they are treating the step-parent, their attitude about the new family, the new marriage. And then the step-parent turns to their spouse. The biological parent says, help me, you know, set your kids straight. And the bio-parent says, oh, wait a minute, those are my kids. And all of a sudden, what started out in the other home has become a tension in the couple's relationship. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've worked with couples that if we just put them in a context all by themselves, they have a wonderful relationship. They get along well, which, by the way, is why they fell in love. It's why they got married, because they kind of separated themselves from everything else going on around them when they were dating. 
But then after the wedding, you can't do that anymore. And the parenting and step-parenting and the dynamics between homes and the debt from the past, and now we've got to decide how to trust each other with our money and how do we merge that stuff. It's those realities around the couple that can cause division within the couple. Right. And, Ron, let's let's hold that thought. We're going to take a break, and in our next segment we'll talk more about what are the qualities of a healthy family, what are the challenges in a step family that make that difficult at times. You're listening to the Living Well with Dr. Peg show. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and my guest today is Director of Family Life Blended, Ron Deal. Our topic is Smart Step Families. We're going to take a break to hear from our sponsor, SSI Guardian, and when we come back, we'll take a closer look at this topic of what are the factors that affect the 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 family that are coming from outside of the family? What are the qualities that make for a healthy family, a healthy uh, marriage? And we'll look at some common myths about blended families and some helpful tools for integrating your step family. Stay with us. One needs to look no further than today's headlines to understand the threats facing American schools. They remain soft targets for violent threats, and yet our schools go largely underprepared. Our children deserve the highest level of education in the safest learning environment possible. The SSI Guardian QAL, or Quick Action Lockdown, is the fastest and safest way to lock down a classroom. This revolutionary device provides schools with maximum locking protection while meeting all safety, fire, and building codes. Designed by the leading lock experts in the world, the QAL is the only lock that meets Department of Homeland Security primer recommendations. SSI Guardian QAL now makes classroom lockdowns fast and safe with the red button. As a parent, you have every right to demand that your child is afforded the best classroom protection. Take action today by calling SSI Guardian at 877-878-5800 or go to guardianprotect.com. That's guardianprotect.com. To learn more about living well with Dr. Peg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell Clark. Welcome back, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell Clark, and you're listening to Living Well with Dr. Peg. We're talking with Family Life Blended Director and expert on step families, Ron Deal. You can learn more about Ron Deal and Family Life Blended at familylife.com. Ron Deal, thank you again for being with us. Oh, it's good to be with you. Great. So we were talking about some qualities of healthy families and sometimes the the things that happen, challenges that happen that are just inherent with blending families that makes it hard for us to um, live up to those uh, healthy standards. Um, Continue sharing with us. Well, so the marriage has to be strong because it has to endure all of the stressors that are going on around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that really has to be strong for a, to have a healthy blended family is the parent-step-parent teamwork mm. has to be really strong. And there's a learning curve there. Uh, step-parenting is really different for most step-parents than it is to be a biological parent. So on occasions when you have somebody who has children of their own and now they've become a step-parent, they have to learn two different skill sets two different um, tolerances for their role in the life of a child and how the child receives them. And that, that can be really difficult. And, uh, and so when that parent and step-parent are really clicking, really working well together, then it makes a, whole, a huge difference for just the, the natural course of the family and how they develop and bond 
over time. Mm-hmm. And then one last thing I would mention um, is that co-parenting is, is typically important for most blended families. Not all blended families have another parent in another home. They may have been formed because of the death of a parent, and now somebody is getting married again to somebody who becomes a step-parent, and there's not another home. Kids aren't moving back and forth. But in most blended families, there is a back-and-forth dynamic. And how well those adults in the two different houses get along, cooperate, whether they're at war or whether they're at peace, makes a huge difference in the, in the emotional well-being of the children, the climate, how, how well you can cooperate on parenting and rules. And, and so those are things that um, it, when those are going well, step-family development tends to go very well and, and speeds up, yeah. And again, you know, what you shared earlier in our first segment, when we as step families can get together with other step families and especially the adults, uh, it helps to kind of normalize some of the challenges we're having that some of these challenges are just part of normal family development, normal child development, normal parenting um, mm-hmm. skills. And um, to, to kind of hear you even lay out those three areas, strong marriage, parent, step parent, teamwork and co-parenting kind of makes me breathe a sigh of relief. Um, I'm, I'm a year and a half into step parenting. And um, th- those are it's helpful to hear, OK, these are normal um, transitional points. Uh, but yeah. sometimes we know, just like Cinderella kind of messed things up for us, I think um, I'm of the generation, Ron. I'm not sure if you remember the Brady Bunch. I do but I, yeah, I grew up watching the Brady Bunch, and I know every single episode of the Brady Bunch I've seen it multiple times. And, you know, Mike and Carol Brady, uh, they knew it was much more than a hunch <laughs> that this group <laughs> right. would form a, a family and become the Brady Bunch. And so there's some myths uh, that, that I think uh, we get fed by the culture, and maybe they just kind of, you know, arise um, in, our, in our communities. But... Um, what are some of those those common myths? Um, you know, we kind of have alluded to it already in term, mm-hmm. terms of the strong marriage that, you know, the couple comes together for a reason. The two adults come together, fall in love for a reason. And I think one common myth is that we believe that that same level of love will occur instantly between all family members. There you go. Uh, and that's one of the myths. In fact, let me give you just four that yeah, you mention and talk about. And that's one of them, mm-hmm. love. And, and it's really the notion that love overcomes you being an outsider. Mm-hmm. And I just introduced a term to our audience, an outsider. Mm. And that's really what happens. Insiders are people who are biologically related. So let's say a dad has three kids. They are insiders with one another. Mm-hmm. They have the same last name. They have the same history. They have the same bloodline. There's grandparents, stories, connections, rituals, and traditions around holidays. It's all the same. But in comes stepmom, and maybe she has a child or two of her own. They're they're outsiders as well to those insiders. And now we're trying to merge outsiders and insiders. And that becomes the challenge. And really the romantic notion is, um, you know, the husband and wife has fallen in love, and they love each other, and their thought is, well, love's going to overcome that outsider thing. And all of a sudden you're going to be part of my life and my family. That's the notion when parents say, hey, it's not your kid or my kid. They're all our children now. There's nothing wrong with them saying that and talking about our children. That communicates their desire for everybody to feel like an insider, but that doesn't make it so. Mm-hmm. I mean, the truth is children decide whether they want to be an insider. They may not even want you <laughs> yeah. to consider them to be an insider. And so you may wish it, but you still have to develop it. And so if you buy into the myth, then you get set up for some disappointment. A second myth I would give you is, 
is the Brady Bunch myth. And I'm so glad that you mentioned <laughs> that because here's what they taught America and the world. What, I mean, they weren't really trying to teach us this, but this is the message that came out. Yeah. If you're a blended family, it functions the same as biological families. It feels the same. Everybody treats each other the same. There is no yours or mine. It's only ours. The notion was step families are no different than biological families. There's nothing that could be further from the truth. There's a number of very important dynamics that are very, very different. And if you constantly think, well, why aren't we doing the Brady Bunch? Why aren't we, why aren't we bonding the way they did? Why doesn't it feel like a family? It's because you're comparing yourself to the wrong standard. You compare yourself to a step-family standard, and most people discover they're actually doing okay. Like you said, it's normal for them to have some of these struggles. It's typical to be wondering, what's my role as a step-parent? How do I figure out how to connect with you as a stepchild? That's normal stuff. If you think, I'm abnormal, we shouldn't be having these questions, well, then now you're defeating yourself and you're... You know, it just it unwinds your emotional energy. Mm-hmm. The There's a lot of guilt and oh, shame. Yeah. And, yeah. and that doesn't help anybody mm-hmm. right, figure out how to get along and like each other. So the Brady Bunch myth is something we want to set aside and realize that you're, you're a blended family and it has its own set of standards and rules and relationships. And the more you know about that, the better off you're going to be. Mm-hmm. A, a third myth that I would give you is that coupleness equals familyness. Mm. This is the notion that because uh, husband and wife, well, him and her, and now their husband and wife have come together and their coupleness is good and strong, that that immediately transfers to everybody else in the house. And familyness is a whole separate agenda. It's a whole separate bonding process, and it will happen on its own timetable. You may fall in love within six months. That doesn't mean the kids and the extended family is ready for you to become a family. I've got a friend who says, and this is kind of his rule of thumb, and there's, there's no real scientific math to this, so just take it as a principle. He says when the couple's ready to marry, the kids are about a year behind that. Mm. And it's just a way to say um, just because you're a strong couple doesn't mean that the whole package is going to work well. You have to attend to those other factors also. And I would even suggest to dating couples that if you have children or they or you both, one of you is a single parent, the familyness factors ought to really dictate whether you even get married. I, mm. mean, I, I think you know whether you love him or her is one thing, but whether they can potentially love each other and your confidence in whether they can love each other and accept the package is another thing, and wow. you really ought to give some consideration. To that. Yeah, I read one statistic that, and it specified income uh, that women earning a hundred thousand dollars a year or more. of them who were in blended family situations after they'd been married for a year or two said they wished they had married a man with no children. Mm. And so, um, you know, your advice about dating someone with children, if the family is not coming together, if they're not on board with that, I think um, couples in love don't realize just what a stressor that becomes for the whole family and on the marriage. Well, two quick resources to that effect because it's such an important principle. I wrote a book called Dating and the Single Parent, and it's all about dating well and taking into consideration the children and the timing and the pacing of making decisions about marriage and then getting ready for life after the wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is we mentioned this summit on Step Family Ministry where we're training, equipping ministry leaders and marriage mentors and people that are invested in family in a local church to understand step families better and minister to them 
our emphasis this year in Colorado Springs, September 29th and 30th, is on pre-step family counseling. Mm. One of the many things you're going to hear a lot about. Again, it's so unique. It deserves some time and attention for people to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Ron Deal, in your um, book, The Smart Step Family, you talk about um, cooking a step family as opposed Mm -hmm. to putting us all in a blender and blending. And uh, you say it takes an average of seven years for a new step family to really integrate and really cook and and gel as a family. Uh, We have about a minute left before our break, and we'll talk more about this in our next segment. But say a little bit about that uh, cooking process, that there is a myth based on the language that blending is our goal, but it really isn't, is it? Yeah, if you're a blended family, you'd want to cook with a blender, right? And what do blenders do? They cram ingredients together. They throw them together. They force them together. They demand relationship between them. Well, that doesn't work well when it comes to kids. It just mm-hmm. doesn't, right? They tend to bow their backs and go, wait a minute, you're not my dad. Uh, I'm not, I don't have to accept you as my dad. I don't even have to call you dad. Mm-hmm. Don't force me to call you dad. Uh, you cook with a crock pot, and crock pots are really slow. But notice they work on a different system with the ingredients. You just drop them in and you turn it on and you let time and low heat begin to work their magic. And eventually the ingredients, number one, soften of themselves and number two, begin to share of themselves. And patience is so important for everyone, but particularly the adults in a blended family. It will happen, but it won't happen in 30 seconds. It can happen over a period of years. Quit being so anxious and uptight and trying to force things that can naturally happen. You just need to create an environment where people can eventually find out how to connect with one another. Excellent. So, again, the Brady Bunch solved all their problems in 30 minutes or less. (laughs) And so we don't use a blender. We don't use a microwave. We're using a crock pot for our step families, blended families. You're listening to Living Well with Dr. Pegg, brought to you by SSI Guardian, My guest today is Director of Family Life Blended, Ron Deal, and we're discussing step families, blending them, or putting them in a crock pot. We'll talk more about it when we return. With SRN News, I'm Ron DeRockstra. The Tennessee Emergency Management Agency says severe storms overnight are to blame for three deaths in the eastern part of the state. A 60-year-old man and 40-year-old woman were killed in Carter County when a tree fell on them while camping and in Knox County, a second woman was killed by a falling tree. Heavy rains earlier in the week caused flash flooding that destroyed homes and businesses in the central part of the state. President Obama says the proliferation of guns contributes to the tensions that sometimes arise between police departments and the communities they serve. He says police officers at times have very little margin for error in making decisions because guns are so plentiful. Mr. Obama spoke at a news conference following a NATO summit in Warsaw, Poland, He'll return to Washington tomorrow after a brief stop in Spain. He plans to be in Dallas later in the week. This is SRN News. said that the greatest social epidemic in American life is loneliness. Loneliness leads to depression and loss of purpose. But God desires community for us. And if you want to experience God's presence, you need to be around those who love God. So let me ask you, who do you do life with? Are you ready for true community? The Enlightened Foundation provides an online community for women, just like you to fellowship with, allowing you to find your identity and purpose. This month, we have something special for you. Go to Enlightened Foundation. 
www.ghostofthecoast.org and sign up for our online community. Your name will be entered into a raffle to win two VIP tickets to Hillsong United at Pepsi Center July 25th. Plus, every woman who signs up will receive a silver charm designed by Hyde Park Jewelers. Go to enlightenedfoundation.org now to sign up and receive this free gift. The Enlightened Foundation, empowering women, inspiring change. Wake up, Craig. You're having a dream. Oh, wow. I was skiing down the base of Mount Evans, and man, oh, man, was I going fast. That's not a green slope. That's not for you. I know. It was marked double black diamond. Go back to sleep. Okay, here we go. Craig, Craig, wake up. You're messing up the bed. Dang, I was pitching for the Rockies at Coors Field. There I was in the middle of the diamond. Go back to bed. Oh, darn it. I was having the coolest dream. I was James Bond in my favorite Bond movie. Diamonds are forever? You know it. I'm feeling a theme. That I'm sophisticated, adventurous, and athletic? No, you silly. It's time for us to go diamond shopping. For what reason? How about as a makeup present for waking up your spouse? Okay, nobody buys diamonds better or sells them for less than William Crow. It's a good investment. It's an investment in love and good dreams. Online at WilliamCrow.com or at their gorgeous store. I love William Crow jewelry. Making Denver sparkle since 1924. To learn more about living well with Dr. Peg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Welcome back, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and you're listening to Living Well with Dr. Peg. We're talking with Ron Deal, the director of Family Life Blended, and you can visit familylife.com to learn more about Ron Deal's ministry to step families. And Ron, you were talking as well about a, a wonderful conference coming to Colorado Springs. Can you give those dates again and how listeners can get involved in that? It's called the Summit on Step Family Ministry, and it's September 29th and 30th, uh, 2016, in Colorado Springs. Uh, family Life, we're partnering with our with our friends at Focus on the Family, so they're hosting it on their campus. And it'll be a two-day event equipping ministry leaders, lay counselors, uh, marriage mentors, couples that are just leading small groups on marriage ministry or parent ministry to help people understand stepfamilies better, kids and stepfamilies, and how you can minister to them in a local church. Great, great. Well, we were talking about the language and that we're not blending step families, or even if we want to call them blended families, we're not putting them in a blender. We're putting them in a crock pot, which takes time. And if we can be patient and not keep lifting up the lid, eventually, mm-hmm. and, and some statistics that you've cited say up to about seven years uh, mm-hmm. is, is not unusual for families to really gel as a family and feel comfortable with one another and function in a healthy way. Uh, what would be some tools or strategies? Uh, yeah, we're not going to peek uh, in the pot and keep lifting the lid, and we're not going to you know, throw everyone in a blender, but what tools do we have that we can use while we're cooking our step families? Well, crockpots don't use high heat like most other tools, like an oven or a microwave or a blender, but they use low heat, and you got to have some heat. So what does that look like? Mm. If you're going to bring the ingredients together, what does low heat look like? Well, I suggest, for example, middle ground and compartmentalizing. Those are two strategies that can be really strategic for, for blended families, in particular in the early years. And then as time goes on, uh, you begin to find other things that work for you. Middle ground is what naturally brings us together. Let's say you're a step-parent trying to connect to a 16-year-old stepchild or a 25-year-old. 
fourth five-year-old, you know, what do you do to begin to bond and build a relationship? Well, you find your middle ground. You know, hey, we both love watching football. So all of a sudden, that's a little ritual. You're going to make sure you two sitting down mm-hmm. watching football on mm-hmm. a regular basis or playing football, going out and throwing the football. Or maybe it's around uh, crafts and art. And maybe it's around you love to go shopping together. Maybe it's a favorite TV show. You just begin to find those little things that naturally bring you together. There's no threat there for either the parent or the child. There's no sense of I'm replacing so-and-so because I'm stepping into their space. You just find those safe places where you can connect. Compartmentalizing is a strategy that says uh, we're also going to honor old connections and the new ones that we're developing. So, for example... Early on in blended families, I really, really recommend that biological parents find on a pretty regular basis one-on-one time with each of their children. The reason for that is the bio parent is connecting and bonding with their new spouse. By the way, if that new spouse brought children, so mm-hmm. the bio parent's now connecting to their stepchildren, which means that biological parent's own child is, is, is sharing their parent mm-hmm. with the step-parent, the step-siblings, and it's like, I don't get enough of you. I had you completely when mm-hmm. we were a single-parent home, and now I have to share you with everybody else. It's really important that children not feel disconnected from their biological parent. Why would they embrace a step-parent who has stolen my parent away right. from me? And that, that goes both ways, though, doesn't it, Ron, where the, but the step-parent and the biological parent as a couple need to have that compartmentalizing time as well, don't they? Yeah, they do. And if you think about the little triangle there, biological parent, let's say it's a bio-dad, step-mom, and a, and a child. Dad needs to spend time with his child one-on-one. Dad needs to spend time with his wife one-on-one. they got to nurture that marriage. Mm-hmm. And then what's going to develop slowly over time is the stepmom-stepchild relationship. Mm-hmm. They need to figure out the one-on-one stuff, too. Their middle ground will be in an initial connection, but over time they need to try to figure out some other connections, some other ways that they can talk or share or connect or enjoy activities together. And that will then create opportunities for them to create memories and maybe share a little of their selves and their wants and desires and needs and all of a sudden, that you know, that that turns into a relationship. But yeah. time is something we just simply can't rush. Can't rush it. Yeah. So it's a little combination of togetherness and separateness and patience. Mm-hmm. That's that great. really makes crockpots do mm-hmm. the job well. That's good. And again, for myself as uh, as a newlywed, I still consider myself a newlywed. I've been married, remarried about a year and a half now. Um, most Biological parents, when they first were newlyweds, most of them had at least nine months as a couple by themselves. Mm -hmm. And so um, as we're looking at those triangles of all these different um, um, combinations of one-on-one time, um, we just really have to be intentional about that. And even if it's a short amount of time, in this case, maybe the... um, uh, having maybe a 15-minute one-on-one so you can connect with each of your children and still your spouse. So it doesn't have to be a, a long, drawn-out thing, does it? Just a, yeah, That's just... very true. It's just about connecting in a simple sort of way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a tremendous amount of time. But let me just point out one of the little difficulties with this is is notice who's getting pulled in all directions, mm-hmm. the biological parents. Yep. 
Yep. They're connected to their spouse. They're connected to their children. They're kind of the swing person, right? Mm-hmm. And and here's the thing. If they are uh, unable or unwilling for whatever reason to spend and invest the time with their child, spend and invest time with their spouse, um, then all of a sudden people start getting jealous. Mm-hmm. The jealousy is going to go up. One study I did with Dr. David Olson, we found that you know, you know jealousy was an issue for two-thirds of, of stepfamilies. But for those that were unhappy and really feeling disconnected and, and dissatisfied with their marriage, the, the jealousy was like three times even greater than mm. it was for the families where things were going pretty well. So jealousy is a given on some level, but it just gets worse when we're not really investing. And that's the biological parent's job. They just really have to step up and, and engage on all of those levels. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really an important thing to point out. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the specific challenges. And I, I know a, a blended family who um, one of the challenges was what to even call one another. And you alluded to this in the introduction when you said that kids will say, this is my stepdad, not my blended dad. Mm-hmm. And so that really is one of the first challenges. And speaking of jealousy and loyalty issues, um, children already have a mom or dad a bio mom or dad, or maybe even if they were adopted by that original family. Um, and so they may not feel comfortable referring to their step-parent as mom, or maybe it's not even appropriate, maybe because of their age, to refer to the step-parent by their first name. Right. And so how do you recommend parents navigate, parents and children? It probably has to be kind of a shared discussion. What would you recommend for that? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right on track. There is no right answer. Again, culturally, different parts of the country, ethnically, there are different considerations here. Um, I moved to the South a number of years ago. I live now in Arkansas, and it's very common for people to call you Mr. Ron. Mm -hmm. Other children would call me Mr. Ron, not my kids, but other people's kids. Well, that might be a very respectful term in this culture. In other places, I've found that that feels formal and distant and sterile, and, and step-parents are offended if their kids call them Mr. Ron. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it really depends on where you are. So here's the answer, and it's a non-answer. <laughs> Typical therapist. <laughs> you have to co-create this as a family. You have to have conversations. And little things like, uh, let's say I'm a step-parent, and so I'm going to say to my 11-year-old stepchild. Uh, hey, listen, if I were you, I'd be a little confused about this. I think I am, too. All I know is I like you, and you're kind of figuring out me, and we're going to figure this out together. But in the meantime, we kind of have to know what to call each other. And I want to respect you, and and I'd love for you to have find something that's respectful for me. So what do you say? Let's figure this out. When you introduce me at school to your teacher, how would you like to introduce me in public? And and the kid says, well, I, I guess I'll call you Mr. Ron. You know what? That works for me. Let's go with that. And so we've just decided together. We've co-created the right response for us. And here's what I know. That will change in six months or a year or two years or three years. And it might also change every time that child goes to the other home. Oh, he, the child just went to dad's house, and that's dad. So when I come back, you're definitely not dad. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it ebbs and it flows. You have to be flexible. You have to be willing to negotiate and just hear one another's hearts. Don't worry about the term. What we're focused on here is a developing relationship. That mm. it, That's what matters, not the term. It's the relationship that matters. 
another piece of good advice, Ron Deal. <laughs> All right, so let me give you another scenario. I know of a couple, and we don't have a lot of time. I'll just give you the scenario. We'll go to the break, and I'll have you discuss it when we return. They were divorced, and they had children um, of varying ages from about middle school to high school. And they decided the children would stay in the family home, and each parent got their own apartment, hmm. and the kids stayed put while the adults moved in and out, packed up okay. each week. Now, I know most parents aren't willing to make that kind of sacrifice when we divorce, and the children are the ones packing their bags each week and living in two different homes, uh, really, in many cases, two different worlds where mm-hmm. they have different rules, different habits, different expectations at each home. And I, I remember from the class I took, uh, based on your book, Smart Step Families, you refer to it as being dual citizens. Mm-hmm. And so I want you to talk about, when we come back, uh, what advice you would give any children or teenagers and their parents when it's the stepchildren who go between homes. And, um, and when we come back, we'll talk more about that. But before the break, what are your thoughts about that family, the, the parents, who, and one of them eventually remarried? And so he purchased a home, and and um, now I have the, heard of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, usually it's it, because a judge has required that. Mm. It's happened a few times around the country. I'm not sure that's a new trend. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, to be honest, I I'd have to look at e- any given situation and really kind of hear all the details. Mm-hmm. But I think that could be a very admirable way of handling it. Yeah. It it keeps the children central to yes. the decision. It puts the onus of responsibility on the adults to have to make all the changes to deal with life rather than the kids have to make all the changes because of the adults' decisions. Um, and, and so, you know, it very well could provide some stability for the kids. Might work. Yeah. Well, you're listening to Ron Deal. He is the director of Family Life Blended, and I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. You're listening to Living Well with Dr. Peg. We're going to take a break to hear from our sponsor, SSI Guardian who set the new standard on advanced safety education. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Ron Deal and more on Smart Step Families. Schools can no longer afford not to invest in a professional evidence-based advanced safety education training program. It's the single most important decision and investment a school administrator will ever make in their professional career. When all else fails, training and preparation are the only things that will increase your chances of survival in a violent incident such as an active shooter or active terrorism. SSI Guardian has set the new standard in advanced safety education by providing evidence-based advanced training programs tailored to your needs. While there are many basic training programs largely based on opinion and emotion, SSI Guardian is the only advanced training program of its type with an accredited continuing education unit or CEU issued by an accredited university. SSI Guardian has set the new standard in advanced safety education by providing evidence-based advanced training and solutions to learning institutions, faith-based and professional organizations. To learn more, call SSI Guardian today at 877-878-5800 or visit guardianprotect.com. To learn more about living well with Dr. Peg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Welcome back, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and you're listening to Living Well with Dr. Peg. 
We're talking with Ron Deal, the director of Family Life Blended, and you can learn more about Ron's ministry at familylife.com. Thanks again, Ron, for sticking with us. So glad to be back with you. All right. And we were talking about this very common phenomenon of children in children of divorce, and certainly it's a factor with blended families, step families, when kids are going back and forth between households. And you refer to that as dual citizenship. Say more about that. Well, you know, if you have ever done any international travel, you understand as soon as you land at the other country that they have a different social system, a different legal system, a different money system, economic system. Um, you know, there's different expectations, language, culture, mm-hmm. r- rituals, traditions. You know, how people relate to one another is different. Uh, my wife and I go back and forth to Ghana on a regular mm-hmm. basis and uh, work with formerly trafficked children there. And, uh, you know, we've fallen in love with that country, but let me tell you, they have a lot of different rules <laughs> and ways of doing things. You know, the highways don't even have white lines or yellow lines. <laughs> you just drive where you can find a, an empty <laughs> spot without a pothole. And, and don't even talk about the buses, huh? <laughs> you know, imagine driving on an interstate in Denver around the loop and going, uh, uh, there's no white lines or yellow <laughs> lines. That's chaos, right? But somehow it works there. Um, the point is, Kids move between homes, there's a different culture, there's different expectations, different bedtime, different language, different values. What's amazing about children is that they can learn the differences and they can make those changes as they move into that different home. Sometimes they need a little reminder. Hey, remember we get the dishes out um, before we sit down and we put them on the table and we fill our plates before we start to eat. I know in your house you buffet style, but, but this is the way we do it here. So it's not about comparing our countries better than their country. You love us more, right? Mm. That's what really hurts children. But it's about loving and, and this is our system and you can be respectful about the other people's system. That, in effect, frees children to like and love and get along in both countries. And that's really what they need from us. Yeah. And so, again, normalizing it, this is just the way it is. This is inherent in bringing two families together and having two different households, it's not, I think your point is excellent, it's not which one is better, which do you like better, and putting the child in the middle where they've got to choose and, and have loyalty issues, uh, but just letting, just reminding them, kind of matter-of-factly, yeah, I, this is how we do it here. Mm-hmm. That's great. So what what happens when it doesn't go that smoothly, when there is, for example, an ex-spouse uh, who is, quote-unquote, bad-mouthing the new family, the, the new stepmother, the well, way kids, they do things. They got divorced for a reason, after all. That's right. And so how? Did. what are some tools or strategies that um, step-families can use to negotiate uh, all of those complex uh, other family dynamics? Uh, you used a term in uh, the workshop I took on smart step-families. You used the term ex-wife-in-law, and you said yeah. there are no ex-parents only ex-spouses, <laughs> and so we can't put the kids in the middle of this drama. Um, parents got divorced for a reason. How, what, what are some tips you can give the listeners on how to negotiate some of those complex uh, relationships and con- conflicts? Well, first of all, they need to recognize that there is a real negative outcome on kids mm. when adults don't get this right. Uh, my favorite quote is a little African proverb that I love to apply to the situation. The African proverb is when two elephants fight, it's the grass that suffers. Hmm. 
you know, they're not paying attention to what they're trampling. And unfortunately, when ex-spouses or ex-partners are constantly at war over one another and their agendas and how you hurt me and, you know, what's fair in terms of money and, uh, you know, there's a medical bill and you haven't paid your part and all of those warring efforts just trample the grass. Kids hear it, they perceive it, they understand the tension, they carry that, they internalize it sometimes and make it into guilt and self-blame. Sometimes they externalize that and turn it into anger and rage. The point is it tramples them. And that doesn't help grass grow. And that's what we're trying to do is help the grass grow. And so this is important, okay? One of the strategies that I would recommend for um, co-parents, again, people that have had a child together now living separate, whether you've remarried or not, you're still responsible to maintain your parenting approach. You be an ambassador, in other words, to the other country. You've got to deal with them. You've got to talk with them. Sometimes negotiations are taking place. But you can still be in charge of your country and how you do things. But have a respectful attitude about the other country. That heart of respect is so important. Now, here's what gets in the way of that, Dr. Peggy, and that's you hurt me when we were married before. Mm-hmm. And so my hurt and my perhaps bitterness over that and it's still getting in the way. You brought up the good point there. There's, there's no ex-parents. There's only ex partners. So yes, that marital personal relationship is over and forgiveness is so very important for whatever that past story was. And I realize they, they may have hurt you, you know, really badly. Finding an ability to forgive, to let go of that offense so that you can, as a parent, function in a way as an ambassador and be respectful is so important. It's separating what was personal from what's parental. Yeah. And that just takes some discipline. You know, I've had parents where I've coached them and, and they, they would write down on a three-by-five card, you know, or put into their phone, here's the script, here's what I'm going to say on the phone to my ex, here's what I'm not going to say on the phone, <laughs> you know, something to help them stay on task. It's, it's kind of like a business meeting. That's another strategy, mm-hmm. you know. Think of it as a business meeting. You've got to talk. You've got to figure out how we're going to do this thing with the graduation event or the birthday party or how we're going to – you know, your home, my home in terms of Christmas and holidays, we got to have the business conversation. Well, but I'm going to keep it to business. You know, we're not going to go down the road of the old junk. That just gets us nowhere. But what's the business at hand? You know, those sorts of attitudes and then disciplines begin to make it a more negotiable relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's in a best case scenario. And there may be listeners who are dealing with a very difficult ex-spouse or ex-partner. Who yeah, people always chime in and say, well, I'm willing to do that. Yeah, but, yeah. But the other home. Yeah. Won't. And, and well, so how do we protect the children? Because there, there may never be reconciliation to be able to co-parent, to come mm-hmm. onto the same page and have mm-hmm. this business meeting and read from your cue card and, yeah, and right. be coachable when we just don't have a, an ex partner who makes that possible how do we protect the children what's a conversation give us some actual things we could tell our kids so that they don't get caught up in the middle of this and get trampled imagine a mom talking to her kids about their biological dad who is maybe drinking too much uh, erratic lifestyle irresponsible losing jobs etc okay um and she just you know she says something that is factual and compassionate not 
not to put him down, not to make him look bad, but to just get inside their heart. Mm -hmm. You and I both know your dad's really struggling right now. And sometimes when people are struggling, they do things that hurt themselves and others. And I know you guys get caught in that mix sometimes. You ever feel that way? She asks a question. She, she listens, engages. Maybe they share. Maybe they don't share anything. You know, sometimes kids are afraid to talk about the other home mm-hmm. and because and they don't want to, you know, be disloyal. And so, but other kids talk, you know, prolifically. They just go on and on and on. And, but, but what she's doing, she's engaging them. But notice she's engaging around their feelings, their experience, mm. not who he is as a person. So then she follows that up with something like, and I know this is really hard for you. Let's talk about, let's talk about how you respond. Let's talk about what you do when your dad comes home drunk. Let's talk about what happens if he forgets to pick you up at school. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about, and you, now you're trying to equip and give them a game plan and what plan B or C or D is. See, here's the hard, hard truth. I, I, I always know when somebody asks me this question, I know what they're really wanting me to give them is, you know, here's the power move you make that takes away all the influence of this biological dad. Well, I'm sorry, I haven't figured that one out. You know, unfortunately, he's, he does have a role in their life. He does have influence, and it's a negative one. But you don't get to change that. Nobody has that power. What you can do, though, is, again, try to equip and prepare the child, connect into that experience in a compassionate way so that they will continue to talk with you over time. Excellent. And then the last strategy you can do is... is Overcome evil with good. Mm-hmm. Romans 12 talks about that. We don't repay evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. And so sometimes just maintaining a godly approach to how you respond to a very ungodly set of behaviors over time, sometimes, now, there's no guarantee in this. You know, that's the hard part. Right. But sometimes it does bring about a change in the other person. That often is long time coming. And a lot of pain happens in the meantime, but it is the power that you have to influence the situation. Excellent. And we know over time, the parent who's having these difficult conversations is themselves being conformed into the image of Christ. And what lessons the child is learning, what's being modeled, uh, as you said, compassion Um, really seeing reality for what it is and not putting your head in the sand and then equipping them with tools, with life skills. And so out of a bad situation, some wonderful things can happen. Um, There are many rewards in being a smart step family. Children just have more adults who care about them, who love them, who can support them. They may even develop close relationships with their new step siblings. And so it's not all bad news. There's a lot of beauty that comes out of it. Ron Deal, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and that hope with us today. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Listeners, uh, you've been uh, hearing the the wisdom of Ron Deal, the director of Family Life Blended. Learn more about Ron's ministry at familylife.com, and uh, be sure to, to uh, check out the upcoming um, Step Family Workshop in Colorado Springs, September 29th through the 30th. I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. This is Living Well with Dr. Peg, brought to you by SSI Guardian. God bless you. More details. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Living Well with Dr. Pegg. Living Well with Dr. Pegg is brought to you by SSI Guardian, who has set the new standard in advanced safety education. 
If you'd like to learn more about the show, our sponsor, or mental health consulting and publishing services, visit www.drpegradio.com. Remember to join us every Saturday at 1 p.m. on 94.7 KRKS-FM for Living Well with Dr. Peg.